0: Welcome to the Revision Wizards podcast. I'm Ms. Katherine H, and I am joined by my enchanting co-host, V.E. Griffith. This is episode 21, and today we're going to do a scene analysis with Lily Ann Fouts. And in it, we will be discussing the first scene of her new memoir about her travels and how to travel responsibly. This episode is sponsored by our amazing patrons, who help us to build our podcast— so we can help you make your editing and revision process better.
1: We don't have any new patrons this week, but we remain so grateful for everyone in our community, whether they support us financially on Patreon or not. Our patrons help us to pay for transcripts of our shows available on our website and for better audio recording quality so listening is easier on your ears. If you'd be willing to help support the show financially for as little as a buck an episode, we have a bunch of neat benefits you can take advantage of, including a special podcast feed with extra content and personal updates, early access to scene analysis slots, the opportunity to ask questions for Ask the Editor episodes, professional editing, and more. You can find out everything you need to know at patreon.com slash revisionwizards. And with that, here we go with Lily. All right, so we're here today with a new guest. Uh, If you would please tell us your name and your pronouns.
2: My name is Lily-Ann Fouts, and my pronouns are she, her.
1: Great. Thank you very much. So we have uh, a scene uh, analysis that we're doing today. And uh, so tell us a little bit about this scene. What, What would somebody coming to this want to know?
2: This is the first scene of the book that I'm writing about responsible travel through the story of my life, basically, in a nutshell.
0: Nice.
1: So we're doing a memoir.
2: This is a memoir, and it basically starts at the time when I'm a child living in Mexico, fall in love with the culture and the town there, leave Mexico against my wishes, because I'm still too young to make that call, and always dream of going back. And in in between that time, travel a lot and learn a lot about traveling and it all is relevant to me because I want to be the best person I can be back in this hometown that I dream of returning to.
1: Okay, well that sounds good, and it's it's helpful in some ways to know that this is sort of a scene, a chapter one scene one, because um, we don't know anything about it. But that's exactly where we're supposed to be because we're just coming into the story at the beginning. So, all right, Miss um, Catherine and I did. Uh, sort of a combination of the nonfiction rubric, uh, which is available on the Revision Wizards website. This is our first time doing a memoir nonfiction. And the regular scene rubric that we always do for fiction. I chose the scene rubric because this is narrative and you're telling a story. Uh, Miss Catherine chose nonfiction because it's not fiction. So there we go. Miss Catherine, you want to start us off?
0: Uh, sure. So I guess we'll start with the problem here i said that you marked between fair and good you mention it but you like without the the cover or without knowing a whole lot i'm not grabbing exactly what the problem is from just reading this section so um the problem was that people if i remember correctly <laughs> it's only been a little bit since i read it but <laughs> but that you're trying to get people to understand travel but also how to do it responsibly and with respect to the culture that is there
2: yes essentially the the problem statement actually comes in the next chapter kind of where I describe like what the problem is that I'm going to solve in the book this first chapter is more trying to get people interested in the story so they'll keep reading yeah but that is basically the problem
1: I miss the problem statement completely. Um, and maybe that was just because of the direction that I was going to, just looking at it from a narrative point of view. Um, but it it heartens me to both hear Ms. Catherine's commentary on it, that she did catch it, because sometimes she catches stuff I miss, but also your statement that it's not actually there. So, or,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I don't feel quite so dumb.
0: Um, so a solution... I see that this is it's good. And what I mean by that is that you are offering people, even if they don't know what the problem is yet, to come with you on a journey. So you're not being like, here's what you do. You're offering to like drive them or like sit in the passenger seat and talk to them as you go about it. So it seems much more not really one on one, but road trippy if that makes any sense. (laughs) So, so in that case, I thought that the solution was good because you're grabbing the person in that sense, even if we don't quite know exactly what the problem is just yet.
1: Yeah. I certainly want to, to read more of the story. Um, I felt like I, there was definitely some changes that I could, that I could make and we'll, we'll get to those when we get to mechanics. Um, But I felt like, uh, this was certainly something that grabbed my attention that I want I want to read more about. Um, so send me the novel when you're done. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, because I this is this is a story that that appeals to me to begin with. So
2: that's good to hear. You always want to convey that in a first chapter. So
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's and that sort of goes to the next section on the nonfiction rubric premise and hook. Is this unique, engaging, and provocative, and i would have I would have rated this uh, good for the most part. It is not something that left me angry that I only had one chapter, but it also was enough to go, well, I really wish I had number two
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it was it was sort of it wasn't it wasn 't perfect for me, but it was it was good enough that I absolutely would continue turning the page if I had more okay good to hear
0: so I have um two hooks really the way that the flashback is working in this chapter just doesn't seem to work where it's at because it cuts away from the explosion which is supposed to be like the oh it's so nice to see (laughs) in the background you're like what and then you're like back in the day (laughs) so it just takes away from that explosion moment and then the other hook was the fugitive statement, where it's like this whole long list of who you're running away from, <laughs> and now I'm very <laughs> curious because I'm like, wait, but did did you get away from them? I <laughs> was this continued. Are you still in hiding? <laughs> like, so there's a whole bunch of uh, questions there. So I thought it was it was fair in the sense that with the flashback, we just got to move move the flashbacks somewhere. <laughs> and I think that you'll have a hook that'll just keep, keep people going. Okay. Now, the reason I
2: switched where I did, and maybe you can help me, like, as we converse today, figure out how a better way to do that would be, but I I wanted to leave them hanging so they would keep reading to figure out what what that explosion was later on. So that's why I cut away at that point, was Okay, so here's, I'm going to go back and tell you what happened, but keep reading. You'll eventually get back to the explosion and and find out what that was all about. I don't know if I did that. Apparently, I didn't do that quite right. So (laughs) I'm I'm very curious to hear um, some solutions or or options to, to take there.
1: Well, with the rest of the with the rest of the chapter, I felt like it was pretty obvious that the explosion was at least something having to do with the drug war. And that was that was real clear and real easy to a conclusion to draw. So if that's the right conclusion to draw, then that might be a problem because it's too predictable. Okay,
0: Mm -hmm. Makes sense.
1: So, Catherine, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that it's very almost easy way out. You're in Mexico. They are unfortunately known for their drug cartel. You hear an explosion. It's not like you're in like the United States where you would hear an explosion and be like, well, hold on. What is that? Mm -hmm. Or if you're in like different countries, different explosions will be like, oh, my God. Or just an everyday occurrence. And the way Maria Teresa had acted was almost as if this was an everyday occurrence. Don't worry, sweetie. Go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So. So yeah, we'll we'll have to come up with something. Okay.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, really good points you're bringing up there. So,
1: um, the next section on the nonfiction rubric is authenticity. I feel like if it's memoir, it darn well better be authentic because otherwise, you're not writing memoir; you're writing fiction. <laughs> but the 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 credibility came through that you do you did have this experience. This is something that was real for you, and that you're telling at least your retelling of a true story. Memoir is always colored by the, you know, all memory is colored by the person doing the remembering. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously no exception. What your mother remembers, what your father remembers, what Maria Teresa remembers, is going to be slightly different from your memory. But that's okay. And it comes through that this is your authentic story.
0: I... Went with the side of research when I was looking at that section. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's your memories. So, of course, I'd hope it was authentic. <laughs> so, in my sense, I went with the, the research side. So, I rated this good based on the research. Because in this, you're talking from the authentic side. And that you've mentioned you've done research. But you haven't shown us what it is. And you're going to ask us to come along for the ride for it. So I thought that that was good in that sense where you're telling somebody, hey, I have answers to these things. I'm just not giving you it in chapter one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that leads on to almost the research section, which is literally...
1: Have you done the research?
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah, I I put underdeveloped because in this chapter, (laughs) there is no research. (laughs) I mean, there's your memories that have been researched. But other than that, that's it.
1: So the next section is organization. Basically, the question is, is the book logically organized? I thought it was reasonably well organized, and it was clear that you jumped into a flashback. I am not sure that the flashback, the flashback is necessary because it's your experience as a child, and you're comparing and contrasting your lived experience as a child versus your lived experience as an adult. I am not sure that the way you did that jump was right and we just talked about that where you know explosion and then flashback you may be able to rework that in a way that instead of doing it as a flashback as a firm flashback the way you've done it where you completely change time periods she you your character your lead character goes through and has her conversation with Maria Teresa now and you sprinkle in the memories as character thought, or I don't know if this is in your, this is an ethical question about memoir, but do do you want to have a conversation with Maria Teresa about those differences? Because I'm, it's reasonable to believe that you would have, Oh, I noticed this is different. That seems like a reasonable question that you might have asked. I don't know if you did. And if you didn't, then maybe you shouldn't put, you know, you shouldn't create a scene where there isn't one, but that sort of back and forth, compare and contrast, you can, you can bring in the elements that you remember without doing a firm flashback. If, if that's not, you know, if, if it works better that That,
2: way. That is an interesting thought to bring it in. I would have to invent a conversation, but the, the, the content of the conversation would still be true story. So, you know, it wouldn't be like, I'm completely making things up. You know, the conversation itself could be a reconstruction of you know thinking back to years earlier. I can explore that as an option. That might be a good way to do it.
0: Yeah, I had marked it for and I put just this chapter because I don't know how the rest of the book is. <laughs> but uh I think the flashback it needs to be moved around. So I marked it as fair. And like once you move it it it'll be fine. We just have to figure out where. <laughs> and I I did mark a few spots where I thought you jumped back into the present and then went well present 2010, and then went back. Yes, further. (laughs) So I did mark that, and I wrote like, "Oh, hey, if you just cut this sentence out and then put it over here, that'll keep it going." And I marked two good catch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I missed that one.
2: Yeah, I I didn't even you know you write stuff you don't notice that, but that was a really good catch. So thank you for pointing that out.
0: Yeah, and then I marked two spots that I think the flashback could go. So there was one where um, I think it was just after the explosion or them talking about the explosion and you're thinking about how it's unsafe to be there. And then you would do the flashback into, hey, look, this is what it was like. But then I had to leave. And now I'm still confused. And hold on. Other people don't get to leave. So I have that version in there. And I cannot remember where I put the, yeah, but
2: you did Mark. Uh, I saw that at least two spots where you like could go here. So I'll, I'll play around with it with those different options and see how it flows.
1: Okay. The next section on the nonfiction rubric is emotional tone. Um, I felt like the emotional tone for this was just about right. I had mechanical difficulty with the writing and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I got a sense of wistfulness for the world that was during childhood it came through that those memories are positive and good for you it came through that your new experience of this place as an adult was confusing and different and i think that that's what you were going for both with the 2010 and with the with the flashback i think that that the emotional tone was excellent it gives me a sense of where you were and where you're at as you continue through your story i you know with these two threads of your childhood versus your adultness, your adulthood, and your your the differences between your two experiences. I think that, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know if that's the thread you're gonna you're trying to open up with this flashback, um, and you'll continue the dual threads as we go through the story. But that sort of is what I would be expecting at the end of the. You know, we'll we'll see your continuing childhood and your continuing exploration of your adulthood.
2: I'm I'm glad to hear that because. I did want to really give a sense to the reader of how special this place is to me. I have this emotional investment in this place and I love it so much and I want to go back there so badly and I'm just not sure I can because of the safety issue at this point. So yeah, and where can I go? Because I don't feel like anywhere is home except there.
1: Um, it ju- It seems like that your confusion with not feeling like home, that anywhere is like home. uh, And the idea that you can't come back to this place, you know, because of the danger, you would stick out as a, you know, frankly, as a, as a privileged white person in this environment. And that would make you a target for things like ransoms and kidnappings and extortion. And, you know, because that, that's, that's what can happen. And, and that would obviously be a concern.
0: Correct. For me, I thought the emotion got a little lost with the switching of times. You would start feeling a connection to one version of yourself, and then you would swap it. And just as you're starting to get acquainted with that person, you go back. So I felt that the switch had been a little jarring for the like emotional connection. You have all the emotions there, but I feel when we move the flashback (laughs) a little bit, that you'll get a deeper connection. We'll feel this nostalgic that you have to this home. And then the reality of I can't be here Mm -hmm. anymore. And that lost feeling at the moment you have the nostalgia and then you're going back into, well, there's an explosion. So now we're back into the present. And everything just seems to be like, oh, we're sad. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I feel like it's good. It's getting yeah, good. just a little
2: rearrangement.
1: Yeah, I I I will say that I felt more of an emotional connection with the child li- Lily than I did with an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but the the character that I latched onto was the child.
0: Okay. Ooh. That's interesting. I latched on to the adult version. <laughs>
1: Everybody's different.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> we always have to be contradicting, VE.
1: <laughs> of course. I We wouldn't have a podcast if I wasn't. <laughs> what about pacing, Ms. Catherine?
0: So pacing for me, I highlighted and combined <laughs> sections for you in this one. So I wrote, there lacks um, transition between movements of the scene almost like it contains tangents that slow the pace from problem to solution. So for me, the blockage that you have set up at the moment almost seems tangent-like to get to the problem. You're trying to be like, look, it's nostalgic, but now we're back to the present. And it just felt slightly off to me. Okay,
1: I would agree. I f- I feel like the two... The two threads that we have here are paced slightly differently, and so they are generating a different emotional response. And I don't know if that's what you're intending or not, um, but that goes back to which character that I latched onto. And so I feel, you know, on the other hand, the question on the rubric: Does the book, does my book keep the reader turning pages? Yes, you know, that's a firm yes from me. And I wanted to continue reading, and so that's that's positive. And it may be something with reworking the rework or when you rework the flashback, either by moving it or by making it, you know, by creating a conversation or creating even an internal conversation where we're not necessarily talking to Maria Teresa, but we're watching Lily have her own thoughts and feelings, you know, that's dialogue as well. And so, you know, we can do, we can do that. And, and, that situation helps us see Lily's voice in what's going on here.
0: Okay. Yeah. Shall we wait on the, the three C's until you go through some of the other rubric?
1: Um, well, the only thing really that I was going to go through on the other rubric was, frankly, the mechanical. The three C's are the big thing to to, to go through. I felt like, from a scene perspective, the conflict was pretty clear. The, the two threads of adult Lily and child Lily brought that into focus where we're not in Kansas anymore. That struck me as the main conflict of this story that we have gone back to this place that we have fond memories of, that we loved, and it is not that place anymore. And something is wrong here. There is a world in which I can see that that conflict would continue as a thread through the whole story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Catherine? I did the two the two conflicts. Um the past one which I put as underdeveloped, but you were a kid, you didn't really get a choice or a con- like it all happened to you. <laughs> so that was fine. We we saw it happening, you didn't get a choice. I am curious to know how old you were at the time. That was something I felt like I missed throughout. I know that your sister was 8, but I have no idea if you're older, if you're younger, where you are in relation to
2: that yeah at the so at the time we left Mexico I was 13 but yeah I I should probably clarify ages
0: so yeah so a lot of that was happening to you so on all of those I'm like sorry like (laughs) you don't get a say because you're a child and I know (laughs) that feeling (laughs) but then uh so for the 2010 I felt that the the conflict was fair so it's home is no longer safe, is what I saw was the conflict. So it's that moment where you're sitting at the table and it hits you guys that um, this might not be the area you want to move into if an explosion happens a kilometer away. So that, for me, was the conflict.
2: Interesting. I saw that as more of the choice. Like, should I risk... Going back to the place that I love where all my friends still are, but it's dangerous. Or should I go somewhere that doesn't feel like home, but maybe I'm safer? You know, that was kind of my, the way I saw it is that that's a choice. So it's very interesting. I could see how it could be a conflict as well. Very interesting.
1: Well, I felt like the choice was propelling us in the direction of which way do I go? Can I do you know, can I come home or do I have to stay away and be, you know, essentially be a nomad in a place that, that isn't home? But I felt like if that's the choice that we're making, that was not super well developed. Um, it's obvious in a way. It didn't, to me, seem to pull on her heart hard enough. Okay. It, it doesn't necessarily have to do that in this scene because it is only the opening scene not every choice on a scene level needs to be a life and death kind of decision. This could be a global choice and, and then it becomes a heart wrenching. What do I do? You know, which baby gets to live kind of question. But I, you know, I thought this, I thought it was reasonable enough to be going on with, but it was not a, it was not presented as a heart wrenching choice. I think in part, that's because it wasn't decision time. It wasn't time to pull the switch yet. We were just still sort of investigating our options. Right. But but it's going to be much harder when it's time to actually put money down on your choice.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I
2: feel like that comes in 2019. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so nine years later, got it. <laughs> yes. For me, I saw the choice was to either... Reevaluate your situation and I and your ideas about something, or sit around and mope and then ignore it. <laughs> and that's what I saw as that moment. And like because I'm picturing you sitting at the table, you're all like, oh no, and you're starting to like really think over things. And either people sometimes don't like to think about their situation and come to realizations, and they'll stop themselves. And I felt like you made the choice sitting at that table to continue to think about it and to actually broaden what you had thought you originally wanted to do. So I thought that was the choice, was to actually reevaluate what you wanted.
1: Mm. That makes sense to me as well. I thought that that, that was, but that was not the approach that I took. So, or that, you know, the approach that I got. What about consequence, Miss Catherine?
0: So for my consequence, again, your past self had no choice. No, (laughs) they just had to leave. Um, But (laughs) your your 2010 version of you, your so there's two consequences in that. There is the reader consequence and then there is the narration. So for the narration, I saw that the consequence is that you decide to learn more about this revelation that you've made for the reader, their consequence is, here's a book, are you going to jump? So like, (laughs) you have now got this far, you've, you know, picked up this book, because you had the conflict, you've chosen to read it, your consequence is now there's a rest of the book, I'm not giving it to you right up front. So that's what I felt was a good lead. In that sense, I liked the way you had offered, like I said, to do the road trip. So that was with like the readers. So for me, the consequence was definitely learning about the revelation, and now you're going to explore that throughout the rest of the book, and you're also having a consequence for the readers.
2: I hadn't thought about it from the reader point of view. That's really interesting. Yeah, I like it.
1: Good. I felt like the consequence here was that 2010, Lily is just forced to re-examine her life and her values and, and her plans. Um, and I think that that's perfectly appropriate in, you know, in this sort of se- chapter one, scene one kind of, kind of writing. I, think, I, thought it was, I thought it was pretty good.
2: Okay.
1: It's enough to set up, to begin to set up the next conflict, you know, as she continues to do her investigation and, and continues to try and make choices and reflect on her world and her experience.
0: Yeah, we wonder how that turned out. We just don't know. If only we knew somebody we could ask. No. <laughs> 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 it's an autobiography. Got it. No,
1: <laughs> no it's, a bio- it's, a, it's a flat biography written by your ghost. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so if we switch to the, uh, to the scene rubric, if we go to the mechanic stuff, excuse me, down toward the bottom. Um, Ms. Catherine, what did you think about showing versus telling here?
0: I felt there was a lot of telling. There were little moments where I, I marked LOL because I laughed. Um, the painted houses, that got me. That still stands out to me, where your mom's like, look at these beautiful houses, and then you pull up to a <laughs> non-painted house. <laughs> I thought that was the best, <laughs> or it's like, this is a non-painted place.
2: That's funny. I never even thought about that as I was writing it. That's hilarious.
0: So I did feel like it was a lot of telling, but you're also flashbacking and flashbacking does a lot of telling. So, so yeah, that's how I think of it.
1: I feel like you can do a lot of showing in a flashback if you write it correctly. I mean, you can still show in a flashback and still make it clear that it is a flashback. 15 years ago, you know, the issue that I had, um, in some ways was, telling through a fourth wall break i think i to put it bluntly the last two paragraphs need to go completely
0: um i I love those (laughs) (laughs) that's (laughs) we're we're always so different
1: (laughs) yeah well
2: you can both give me your opinions and i'll make a decision here
1: (laughs) and you can make a decision that's that's the joy of being the author is that you can you can make a decision those experiences would ultimately, this is how I rewrote it a little bit, those experiences would ultimately make me question my right to travel or move abroad at all, period, end of chapter. The next paragraph, an invitation to the reader, if if you weren't inviting the reader along, you wouldn't have written the book, so that's plainly obvious, and then you know, fasten your seatbelt and the whole cliche about the, you know, the plane trip. <laughs> the
2: emotional baggage. I loved it. <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to work or not. Apparently it worked for half the readership. <laughs> I loved it.
1: It did. It did work for half the readership. I thought it was funny in context, but I think that the whole cliche is just too cliched. Okay,
0: I wondered if it might be a little too much. <laughs> I, well, so I think those last two paragraphs are the consequence for the reader. That's that moment of, hey, you're you're stuck on this road trip now with me. <laughs> so I liked it, but that's just me, I guess. I do like the way he ended his as well.
2: I could potentially keep that ending in there, but change it so that it is not a cliche. Like, still invite the reader, but in a non-cliched way. There you go. Uh, I'll have to think on that a little bit.
1: I Because in some ways, the, cliches are cliches for a reason and everybody understands them. but they can also indicate lazy writing. And you're not a lazy writer. Try not to be.
2: (laughs) Sometimes I am.
1: (laughs) And your readers are intelligent enough to be able to to comprehend what you're trying to communicate to them without a cliche. I think that you could definitely rewrite that in in that way. Ms. Catherine?
0: There is the idea that do you do this again, later on in the book where you're directly talking to the the reader. Because if you are, then you would want to keep that in the beginning to let the reader know that that's going to happen multiple times throughout the book. Because if not, then that's the only moment. Or if you take it out and then like two chapters later, you're talking to the reader, they're going to be like, well, that wasn't what's happened at all throughout. So far."
2: yeah, no, I kind of want it to be conversational throughout the book where I'm speaking to them and figuring things out together with them, kind of a a feel.
1: See, here we go with the differences again. I sort of, I sort of disfavor those, those kinds of things, but I also recognize that it is author voice. So um, you can do it either way. Uh, I feel like as long as you do it consistently, (laughs) Miss Catherine is pointing at herself saying my way, my way. Yes. We all know Ms. Catherine wins.
2: Excellent food for thought. Okay, I have a quick quick little thing on uh, back to the flashbacks and, and so forth. Do you think I should just go straight chronological, start the book when I'm a child, and then come to the point where we're back in Mexico in 2010 in the, in a separate next scene? Do you think that's an option, or do you think I should still start it in 2010 and and jump back at some point, just at a different point, if I do that.
0: I thought about that reading through it, whether or not, because I I think that's the other thing I mentioned, where it was like, hey, flip this, start the flashback, and then go into the explosion stuff. I think that was the, I have both for you, I guess. (laughs) I have either flip it to the beginning, or put it at the end.
2: I'm just wondering if that flashback scene Is it is enough of a grab at the beginning? The reason I put the explosion first is like, I want to hook the reader, you know, with an exciting initial scene. And I felt like the early childhood version was not grabby enough, (laughs) but I don't know.
0: You could also start something like in October of 1992, I was ripped from my home Mm. and then go into a little bit of, hey, look, I loved this place, and then I'm back, but it's not the same. Yeah, that's, that's yeah.
1: The other way that occurs to me is you could do, you could do a paragraph or two about, this is the place that I loved in 1992, and it always felt like home, and then I was ripped away from it. Then we come to 2010, where then you sprinkle in sort of the rest of the flashback and memories of how it had changed observations of how it has changed. And then you could go to that constructed, constructed, uh, dialogue that we talked about. Okay.
2: I mean, options to consider. These are a lot of these things are things I hadn't thought of before. So it's good to get different perspectives and like, here's, here's a way you can think about doing it. Like all of that is really helpful.
0: We're giving you like six different ways to go with this. So.
1: <laughs> Ms. Catherine, my favorite section, passive voice. What do you think?
0: It's his favorite section because my work is really filled with a lot of passive voice. So I've been working on that. <laughs> so I I did notice places where I was like, ooh, passive voice. <laughs> so for me as the editor brain now, I'll notice it a lot more than my, my reading brain. I do feel like there are times where the present or the 2010 version seemed almost slower than the flashback so I feel like that could have been helped by removing the passive voice because at least in the if you want that explosion to be the piece then have something more around it than just (laughs) well and then she went to bed (laughs) like okay (laughs) I mean I guess maybe that's exactly what you did you're like yeah that was fireworks sure we're gonna say they're fireworks (laughs) and then you went to bed
2: I, I choose to believe they're fireworks so I can
0: sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even, I guess even there, you could then f- do a flash into the sense of you're trying to think of them as just fireworks and be like, hey, this was the past. It used to be this beautiful place versus now. So, yeah, I'm another version. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I noticed some passive voice. But I'm going to hand that back over to V.E. because he's better at it than I am.
1: (laughs) I thought it was I thought there was a lot of passive voice in it. Um, I didn't take the time to rewrite every sentence where I could. The standard advice that I give for people who want to crush passive voice is to try and recast your sentences in a way that removes the words was, had and were and their descendants hadn't, wasn't, those kinds of things. And so by removing those words from your writing vocabulary, you will automatically force yourself to write more active voice. And I feel like a lot of these memories, especially in the flashback, could benefit from that. You can do that as you rewrite the flashback, such that now we're in 1992's, 1992 Lily's head, and she is we are experiencing her experiences real time, versus 2010 Lily is telling us what 1992 Lily experienced. If you go that direction with the the whole flashback sequence, you're going to wind up with a more active memory because 1992 Lily experienced this actively.
2: Okay. Now I have a question for the two of you on I think it's somewhat related to this present tense telling a story, uh, r- like writing a book in present tense. Do you, are you fans of, of that style of writing? I know it feels a little bit more like you're in it because it's happening right now. I know some people hate it. Some people love it. I would love to know what you guys feel, of that style of writing.
1: It's hard to do, but I do like it. My favorite book that's written that way is uh, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. It is written in third-person present tense, which is a weird way to do it, but I've been seeing more of that since that book came out. That book is probably 15 or 20 years old now. It's a pretty old book, but it is, for me, still a masterwork in present tense and the immediacy of present tense. I feel like it works well. A a memoir works well in present a lot of times, depending on how you write it. The hard part is we don't usually write in present tense. And so you're going to wind up with accidental tense, which is particularly in scenes scenes where you originally wrote them in past tense and then changed them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's where you wind up with the the errors in tense. A lot of typos. Yeah, I did not catch any errors in tense here, and that's good because I they are I find them to be very jarring, but if you're going to do first person present tense, go ahead and do it. It's engaging. You can read it, but you got to be careful of the passive voice because that kills the immediacy, and then you also have to make sure that you stay in that voice.
2: Yeah. Thought about I've thought about experimenting with that. The, there's one memoir that I've read that was written in present tense. It was the Sky Below by Scott Parazynski, Astronaut. I thought it was excellent, but I know it can be tricky.
1: Yeah. And so the question then becomes, do you want to do it? And are you a good enough? Do you feel like you're a good enough writer to pull it off? I think the answer to that question is yes. Okay, Ms. Catherine, did you have any comments about the passive voice in this?
0: Nope. <laughs> I'm bad at passive voice, personally. <laughs> so... I do notice it now, so that is something. So if if I'm noticing it and I'm bad at it, there could be places to remove it.
2: (laughs) I will go back and look through there and make sure I've got those all cleaned up. This was a very rough first draft, so (laughs) I'm not too surprised that you're finding some some issues there.
1: (laughs) That's what we're for, because if we find them, then your reader will not. And these are the kinds of mechanical issues that will, at least for me, will rip me right out of a story. Mm-hmm. And so I try and be a stickler in my own writing and in, you know, and in people that, that I'm working with to make sure that these mechanical issues are not in their writing because you don't want your reader ripped out of a story or to, to have trouble trying to parse what you're trying to say. You want them to get what you're trying to say or not get what you're trying to say if that's your goal if you're writing a mystery, you want to confuse them. You know, you don't want the English language to be the barrier to their understanding. I'm a big stickler about that. To that end, I I felt like the sentence structure, which is the next uh, section, the last section of the uh, scene rubric, was very good. I didn't have trouble parsing the sentences, generally speaking. Um, I did have some places where I added words. I removed words. Word choice stuff, move some things around, tighten a little bit. But overall, I thought it was pretty good uh, mechanically. I didn't have, um, you had some layout and design issues or some issues that will get, that you, that will bite you when you get to layout and design and publishing. For example, your hard carriage returns between your paragraphs. Those have got to go. And sometimes you had, at the end of a paragraph, an extra space. Those have got to go. Now, that's all cleanup that you can do later, but when you get to the point where you're putting it into tools like Atticus or Vellum, those are going to make your life miserable. And so the way you want to format your manuscript is you want your text, a single carriage return to end your paragraph text. You can have your layout and design program, and even your word processor can do Space between paragraphs can do indents and things like that. And all you got to do is use that format and then set set the, the paragraph formatting correctly. Usually it's under it's under the paragraph formatting where you can set those things. If you do hard carriage returns, you know, blank lines encoded into your text, you're going to wind up with weirdly formatted text. And if you're doing hard copy... Uh, which, you know, everybody wants a hard copy of their book, you're going to see down at the bottom of your pages, your lines are not going to, the the bottom of your pages are not all going to line up. Mm. Because some of your paragraphs are going to break at the bottom of the page, and then you'll have a blank line there. But on the next page, the page will end in the middle of a paragraph, and so it will line up against that blank line. Mm -hmm. And so the solution to that problem is to not have blank lines in your paragraphs and then and then tools like atticus and and vellum can do those hang those indents that we were taught in elementary school at the beginning of a paragraph okay you didn't have any tab characters but you don't want tab characters to set up your paragraphs either for the same reason you can you can get much finer control if it's just text carriage return text carriage return text carriage return okay so um, that's my little rant. That is
2: really a good thing to think about. I did not even consider that. And I'm using Scrivener, so I, I think I can make the settings, work on the settings to make that happen.
1: Are you including the blank lines in your Scrivener documents?
2: I think I do have blank lines. I, I'm i terrible. I'm not always consistent, and I need to be. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah, there are some um, areas where for whatever reason, it automatically has like an indented paragraph. And then when I hit return, it indents the next paragraph automatically. And I just leave it when that happens. When it doesn't indent, I'll put another space in. So because I've pasted in some things I've written previously and so forth, it the formatting ends up different on different documents within Scrivener. And I need to go through and just standardize everything.
1: Yeah. When, when we're offline, I can show you how to do mass formatting um, because you can reformat, you can reformat your entire document, you know, just by selecting all your text and then, you know, and then pushing the formatting that way. And then also remember that your, your formatting in Scrivener, when you see it on your screen, has absolutely nothing to do with what the reader sees.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've discovered that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you can change the font. You can, you know, if you like writing in Arial, which I personally absolutely hate, you know, that's fine. And then you can present it to your readers in Bookerly without any trouble at all. I mean, if you want to write in Comic Sans because you like the way it looks, you can hide that from your reader, you know, without a problem. As long as, you, as long as you do the formatting consistently, usually you can fix it in post. Okay.
2: Yeah. I would love if you have any quick tips for that. I would love to talk to you about that. Okay. Yeah, he's the one to go to. Scrivener's the devil. I love Scrivener. I just, I'm not using it to its full capacity.
1: Nobody does. It is such a powerful Swiss Army knife that, you know, nobody uses everything in it. And that's fine. I mean, I don't use everything in it. You know, I have a few tools that I use, but, and and I, to be fair, I think that the compile function is awful.
2: I think it's worse now than it used to be.
1: Yeah. In version three, they've made it, it's much more powerful, but in version three, it's, it's more difficult to use in my opinion. So, um, on the other hand, every tool that you use is going to have its drawbacks. I can't imagine doing a 200,000 word manuscript in Google Docs. I I just can't.
2: (laughs) It's not too bad. It's so much easier to organize in Scrivener. (laughs) You can move things around so easily.
0: I find it really easy to organize in Google
1: Docs. <laughs> All right. Was there anything that we missed, Lily? Or what, what comments do you have after?
0: Yeah,
2: I think you caught a lot that I missed. And for that, I'm very grateful. There's There are so many little things that you pointed out like, oh, I didn't even think of that or notice that. So it's so good to get that feedback. I really appreciate it. This has been great. I, I'm looking forward to going in and experimenting with some of the ideas we tossed around. Um, I'll let you know which, which of you won in terms of (laughs) whose way we do it. (laughs) I might take a little bit of each of your ideas. We'll see.
1: (laughs) When in doubt, go with Catherine. That's just the way, the way of the world, you know. But thank you. In a podcast, even in a podcast marriage, we know who's always right.
0: (laughs) Unless it's line edits (laughs) or spelling. Don't take my word on spelling.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. And uh, we'll wish everybody a good day.
2: Thank you both very much.
1: And that's our conversation with Lillian Fouts. We forgot to ask her on the recording, but you can find her at LillianFouts.com, dot scom There you can find the first chapter of her first memoir, Seven Years Running, which is the story of her childhood as a fugitive, As well as other books she's written.
0: Yeah, and you can find our podcast transcripts, videos, rubrics, and more at revisionwizards.com. You can find me individually at scribes-pen.com.
1: And you can find me individually at vegrippeth.com.
0: Stay magical.
1: Bye.